sit or lie comfortably, quietly. With your eyes closed, begin to connect with your inner world of thought and feeling. Gradually, let the horseshit of the external world fade from your awareness. You're here now, in this place, with your inner stillness. Take a moment to appreciate the silence. Those assholes can't piss all over a purity like this. You are weightless, timeless, without beginning or end. If your thoughts drift to the three-ring shit show of your life, bring your attention back to your breathing. And with each breath, feel your body saying, fuck that, fuck that. Fuck that. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and I hope you're having a great day. I say it every week. I do really mean it, but when I'm reading it off a sheet of paper, it's probably a little bit disingenuous. Let me engage. All right. I'm just getting a picture of you in my mind, and we're connecting interfacing. Okay. I've seen a picture of you. Oh, have you put on weight? Never mind. Sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, focus on the negative. You're looking healthier. You're, you're actually a little bit skinny before. Um, so there's that. So this week I want to talk a little bit about the stories we tell our subconscious. And it's probably a little bit of territory we've been over before, but I had a few things happen during the week that brought these ideas back to me, and I thought uh, we could probably flesh them out a little bit more. But I had a little bit of feedback on the podcast last week, and I just wanted to acknowledge that and address it on this episode. Cal Michael Goodbaum uh, gave me a little bit of constructive criticism and feedback, and it was very much appreciated. We're both members of a group called Podcasters 25th Crit, which if you're a podcaster, get on there, get your podcast on there get a critique. It's a nice, helpful group, although not all that active yet. It could do with a few more members. And Cal uh, made a few technical suggestions about the podcast, but he also addressed the content of the episode, which was uh, Trauma is Just a Story, and mentioned that he had PTSD um, and made the point that PTSD from real life experiences is way worse than anything just told to you or imagined or a story that you consume in media. And I had to explain that uh, I wasn't saying they were the same. I said it was saying that they have the same characteristics, that the real life experience obviously is a lot more extreme, but that they both have similar patterns and do similar things to our consciousness, uh, which he accepted. But he did make a really interesting point about the episode, which I wanted to address, which was that the part that I was missing in my analysis of trauma is the concept of catharsis. 
Now, that's a really interesting idea. And as he said, I mentioned horror movies and I was on the edge of talking about catharsis, but I never did really get there. Um, and he made the point, which I found quite confronting, that there is a certain catharsis to the human experience when an event like 9-11 happens. Now, that's a horrible thought in a lot of ways because uh, we don't want to be able to drive anything beneficial from such a negative event, naturally. Um, but as soon as I read it, uh, I, I recognized the truth of what he was saying, that there, there is sort of a, a unity uh, to humanity in this kind of shared trauma. Um, and I think it is important to acknowledge that it does have a kind of function in society. And that's quite difficult to deal with and talk about because you don't want to be saying, hey, you know, we need these things every now and again. And in fact, saying that in my head, I just imagine this sort of old wrinkly fucking oligarch, you know, like some kind of oil mogul or head of a big corporation just wringing his hands together and saying, you know, the serfs need to be guided. You see, they need their coliseums and their mass traumas because they need guidance on how to think and how to behave, you see. So what we're doing in allowing this activity is really a public service, if you will, a, a kindness of sorts. And really, the people should thank us for allowing them the experience. And and I won't do it, but then I imagine he would just like cackle wildly like the emperor from Star Wars or something. But yeah, in, in a way, it's a, a quite a repulsive thought, um, but there is a truth to it. And I think those kinds of events, uh, school shootings, mass shootings, you know, that we seem to be getting quite frequently lately, provide people an opportunity in a way to celebrate their shared values of nonviolence and protecting children and innocent people and so on. Um, and in a way, it's also an opportunity to virtue signal. And you see that a lot as well, but not in a bad way. In a way, I think that bonds us and reestablishes our shared values. And I think that's a really important thing for us to do. Um, I actually made a post on a forum uh, today where I disagreed with someone about a particular issue. Um, in this case, it was about the arrest and uh, detainment of Julian Assange. But I said, we actually share the same values. We're just coming at it from different experiences. So we, we both want freedom and we both want uh, privacy and we both agree what the positive values are. We just don't agree on what's the best way to get to them. And I think reinforcing that humans share these kinds of values, a love of freedom, uh, the importance of love and connection, these kinds of things, they really do bond us. And they're universal when it comes to the human experience. So it was a really pleasant surprise uh, to get that review. And I do appreciate it. Thank you, Cal. Um, I really wasn't expecting anything more than, you know, uh, you've got an annoying voice. Why don't you just uh, like shut up and publish, uh, you know, an entire half hour podcast of silence, which would be better than your nasal droning, self-opinionated bullshit, which um, he didn't say, which was nice, which was nice. That's more than I was hoping for. I did do a little bit of research about the concept of catharsis, and there's some interesting science there, in fact, that's worth mentioning. There's a lot of studies that have been gone into whether violent movies and video games affect 
children and adults uh, to encourage violence or whether they act as a sort of pressure valve, if you will, to let off steam. And what they've found is that almost universally exposure to violent uh, images and media and uh, events uh, actually encourages violence. So while I do believe in the concept that it does unite humanity in a way, it certainly doesn't help to have more violence in society overall if your goal is to stamp out violence as much as possible. And it's not a result that I want to hear because I love a good horror movie um, and my girlfriend's playing violent video games like all the time. So um, we're pretty fucked. And it kind of makes you wonder about movies like, you know, The Purge or whatever that seem to be saying that this catharsis thing uh, would be good and that we should have a day a year where people are allowed to vent. But the science doesn't back it up. So fuck you, Purge. Decent movie. Bad values which isn't exactly uncommon in Hollywood these days, not looking at anyone in particular, Thanos. So the problem with all of this is we can't really control how much violence we're exposed to in society. I mean, yes, to some extent we can. We can turn off the news. We can not watch the violent movies. And a lot of people are doing that probably more than you think. But at the end of the day, these violent images are going to find us and they're pretty hard to avoid. So it got me thinking, how can we insulate ourselves against the influence of all of this violence? What can we do to ensure that it doesn't affect us in negative ways? Is there a way we can balance these things out? Can we put in so much positivity that the negativity pales in comparison? And somewhat synchronistically, the idea of meditation presented itself as a feasible answer to that. And let me just say meditation just keeps coming at me like a small barking dog these days. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts where the podcast host will talk about the benefits of uh, meditation, like Sam Harris talks about it as the key to logical thinking. Russell Brand talks about it as the key to, I don't know, spiritual enlightenment and You'll recall I interviewed Doug Wilson, who's a Kundalini instructor, and he's all over that chisel. Um, I've been helping him with a project every weekend uh, since we did the interview, and he's been on my case about it. Uh, meditate this, meditate that. And then a week ago, I was in JB Hi-Fi, just buying a cable, minding my own business, and this guy bumps into me and says, I know you. And I was like, uh, no, I don't really know you. And then I realized he did look familiar. And he explained how I knew him. Um, I, <laughs> he was friends with my friend Timbo, who I'd mentioned on a previous podcast, was my best friend who committed suicide. Um, and he was friends with him 13 years ago or something like that. Um, and we'd hung out a bit. You know, we had sort of a six months, maybe 12 month period where we all hung out together and got drunk and uh, had a good time. And he was almost unrecognizable. Um, one thing, he you know, didn't have as much hair, but 13 years will do that to you. But more importantly, uh, he was giving off a kind of, I don't know, this kind of aura or charisma or whatever you want to call it, uh, that he hadn't had he, uh, when he was younger. He didn't strike me back then as someone who had the keys to the universe, um, but when I bumped into him this time, 
there was something there. We sort of clicked and I stayed in JB Hi-Fi for over an hour talking to Alex about spirituality and his journey and DMT and all of these things. And it all ended up leading to meditation once again. Now, Alex is going to be on the show, so uh, look out for that one. We'll talk about all of these topics. But I just wanted to focus on meditation for this episode because, honestly, the universe is just screaming it at me. So, fuck you, universe. Here's your episode. All right? In his book titled Flow, Mihai describes how skilled people like artists, chess masters, and even surgeons who, when sufficiently challenged, will literally lose their selves in the activity. Like Salia D, all data irrelevant to the task at hand, including the sense of self and the chatter in the head that comes with it, cease to exist. Unfortunately for us, the brain's default mode of operation is pretty much the opposite of this enjoyable state of high focus and high performance. FMRI studies have found that there is a set of brain regions known as the task negative network, or the default mode network, that are active whenever you aren't focused on anything in particular. This study is showing that the regions associated with the default mode network negatively correlate with task positive brain regions. Essentially, when you aren't focused on anything, there will be increased activity in the default mode network and less activity in the task positive regions. And the opposite is true when you are paying attention to something. The areas of the brain that belong to the default mode network are responsible for self-referencing, understanding other people's emotions, remembering the past, imagining the future, and general mind wandering. So I would be the first to admit I don't know a lot about meditation. Uh, I don't have an interest in it. I never have. It seemed a bit silly to me. Um, but when the universe keeps coming back at you and telling you to look into it, you know, eventually you've just got to do it. You can only put it down to chance for so long uh, before you have to call it synchronicity. And that clip that I played is from a video by a YouTube channel called What I've Learned. It's a great channel. You should definitely check it out, subscribe to it. There's heaps of good stuff on there. And I think it's a good starting point for our investigation into meditation. It explains pretty well what's happening in the brain and how meditation activates areas of the brain that you want active, you know, that keeps you more calm and logical and less reactive. And while that's a good thing, it, it also kind of, I don't know, it sounds a little robotic in a way. Sam Harris, when he talks about meditation, you go, yeah, cool, Sam, but um, do you realize you actually do sound like a unemotional automaton? Maybe that's a bit harsh. It's probably an insecurity that he has because he's you know, let's face it, he's a monotone low talker. It's like he can get nice and close to the microphone. But others have made a similar criticism of me. So Sam and I are peas in a pod. You know, reach out, Sam. Get in contact. I'll put you on the show. Don't want to be on yours, but you, you could be on mine if you, if you want to, I guess. I'll record it and then never publish it. Most of us spend every moment of our waking lives thinking without knowing that we're thinking. And this automaticity is uh, a kind of scrim thrown over the present moment through which we view everything. And, it, and it's, it's distorting of our lives. It's distorting of our emotions. It, it engineers our unhappiness in every moment because most of what we think is quite unpleasant. We're judging ourselves. We're judging others. We're worrying about the future. We're regretting the past. We're we're at war with our experience in subtle or coarse ways. And much of this self-talk 
is unpleasant and diminishing our happiness in every moment. And so meditation is a tool for cutting through that. It's for interrupting this, this continuous conversation we're having with ourselves. So again, Sam Harris uses meditation as a way to control his thoughts. And that's a very appealing idea for someone who is uh, possibly reactive emotionally or feels a lot of anxiety without necessarily any cause. But to be honest, in my head, uh, there really isn't a lot of that kind of stuff going on. I do watch myself think, generally speaking. Uh, this is something that I've been working on for a long time, like my whole life, really. Not just becoming more like Sam Harris, haven't always known who he was, but more just being more in control of my emotions and my thoughts. I had a friend who was getting into Buddhism, and he said that the early stages of Buddhism are all about watching your thoughts, listening to the voice in your head, and knowing when to act on the thoughts that you're having. So there's a philosophical idea there that the thoughts that come to you are not in your control, but the thoughts that you react to and act on are. And I always found that really powerful. But when my friend came to me like this was a revelation, I said, well, doesn't everybody already know this? Like, isn't that something that we as educated Westerners, privileged, you know, white, sorry. Yeah, that sounded a little bit elite, didn't it? I'm, I apologize for that. But, but we are, you know, educated. We go through school and we're taught about uh, logic and how to reason and how to detect when uh, the media has bias and those kinds of things. So aren't we kind of trained to think of the world in this way? And my friend just said, no, man, oh, no way. I, I can't control my thoughts at all. They're just racing all the time. I have no control. I feel emotions and I, I hate it. And it made me realize that everybody else's brain is kind of this weird horror show. And, you know, I've been actually fairly lucky that mine has been a relatively pleasant place to be for the most part. So I can understand meditation as a tool to get to that, but somehow I seem to have gotten there already on my own. And I don't mean to sound superior or whatever. I, I'm certain it's just luck. It's not something I've done it, anything special to achieve or whatever. Maybe it's something to do with not being exposed to as much trauma as a kid or something like that. Um, but it's just happenstance. I'm certain of it. And I was talking to Doug on the weekend and he actually made that point. He said, um, it sounds to me like you've been meditating for a while unknowingly. And uh, I think maybe that's true. I've had some experiences and I, I don't usually talk about them very much because of the reaction that they generally get from people. Um, but for instance, one of the stories that I tell is I had some very painful teeth several times in my life. In fact, I think two or maybe three times. And I knew it was my wisdom teeth trying to grow as they do. And, and they tell you that your wisdom teeth growing is just a natural thing. But I had a friend, again, Timbo, who was Dutch. And he said, Dutch are more highly evolved, so they don't have wisdom teeth. And I thought, you know what? Fuck you, Timbo. I am not going to have wisdom teeth either. And so what I did is I just kind of closed my eyes and I imagined in pictorial and conceptual 
form, my teeth growing inwards and getting reincorporated into my jaw. I, I don't think teeth even grow like that, but that's what I imagined in my head. And the very next morning when I woke up after doing this, uh, the pain had subsided. And within a couple of days, uh, it was completely gone and there was no sign of my wisdom teeth. Now they tried to grow again a couple of years later. I did the same thing and they went back in. And I'm not joking. They went back in. I can't explain it. I don't even know why I thought to do that. But it just occurred to me that if I could tell my subconscious uh, that I didn't want those teeth to grow, assuming somehow that my subconscious was the thing that had control over them, because I knew I didn't, uh, that it would actually grant my wish, if you will. And whatever happened, it did. And so I've kind of used that tool almost subconsciously ever since then. And maybe I'd even been using it before. I don't really remember being that conscious of it. I certainly am now. And I don't do it often, but I do do it when I sort of need to or when I feel like I need to talk to the whole team uh, in my brain, if you will. So we have a segmented brain and each area of the brain uh, takes care of a certain function. And perhaps it's more complicated than that. Maybe it's not just a single function. Maybe uh, it's a number of functions, but it excels in a particular area. And we've created these things like personalities or, or experiments to try and become a more evolved creature. And we have all of the experiments working in concert together. And it's almost like meditation to me is we live in this conscious part of our brain, this intellectual area, whatever it is, the personality center where we feel like we exist and we're a whole person and we're calling the shots. But at the same time, we know we're not really calling the shots and we have to get the other areas of the brain to cooperate with us. But we're kind of the boss, right? So it's, it's almost like you're having a team meeting and you're getting the whole team together in a room and you're like, all right, team, here's, here's how we want it to be. We want to focus on, uh, I don't know, this week we want to focus on uh, getting smarter, being more productive, and we all need to do our part, right? So lateral prefrontal cortex, I'm putting you in charge of reacting to criticism this week. Uh, medial prefrontal cortex, this week uh, we want a vision from you of what life will be like when we finally get our bank balance under control and achieve financial independence. Dream big, buddy. We deserve it. Uh, ventromedial prefrontal cortex, you compile a list of people we know who have similar goals and will have a positive influence on us in our lives and we'll hang out with them more. Uh, medial prefrontal cortex, I don't know. Just try to be less racist, perhaps. Let's not be afraid of Asians anymore. Let's just be nice people. And amygdala, um, lizard brain, listen, you've been pretty good lately. Uh, but you're still kind of the annoying uncle everyone conveniently forgets to invite to Christmas. Maybe just continue sitting down and shutting the fuck up this week. We'll think of something for you to do next week, okay? Yeah, predictable. You're angry. I get it. Yeah, yeah. That's why everyone hates you. When you're meditating the way we do, you're seeing... 
how crazy you are. You're seeing you're fucking nuts. And that actually has a real value. A systematic collision with the asshole in your head has a real value because when the asshole offers you up a shitty suggestion in the rest of your life, which is basically its job, like, oh, yeah, you should eat the 17th cookie or say the thing that's going to ruin the next 48 hours of your marriage or whatever, you're better able to resist it. So what, like, what do you do? So, I mean, the basic steps of mindfulness meditation are to sit. Most people close their eyes. You bring your full attention to the feeling of your breath. Just the, you're not thinking about your breath. You're just feeling the raw data of the physical sensations. And then the third step is the biggie, which is as soon as you try to do this, your mind's going to go bonkers. You're going to start thinking about, you know, what's for lunch, do I need a haircut, where do gerbils run wild, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You're just going to notice. Oh, I'm, I'm, my mind's going crazy right now. But that noticing is the key moment, is in fact the victory. It's interesting because this is when most people think they've failed. That because, oh, I can't meditate because I can't clear my mind. This is the, the biggest misconception about meditation. You do not need to clear your mind. That's impossible unless you're enlightened or dead. Uh, the whole goal is just to notice when you become distracted and start again. You return your attention to your breath mm. and you just do that. A million times. And every time you catch yourself wondering and go back to your breath, it's a bicep curl for your brain. It changes your brain. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about meditation, uh, obviously, uh, if you didn't notice already. Um, but I guess I'm just at the start of this journey of discovery. Now, um, I'm going to start to take it more seriously, try to understand the benefits and the reasons to do it. And, you know, I hate talking about things in those terms, you know, uh, benefits, goals. Maybe it's just something that I'll do uh, continuously and it'll help me some in some way on my journey and I'll never really fully understand exactly how it is. But to be honest, the thing that I've been doing, this weird uh, homebrew version of meditation has probably reached its limitations, may have reached its limitations many years ago. I've still got plenty of things that I would love to work on and get better at. And you never know, meditation may be the way to do it. Now, Doug would probably kill me if he knew that I'd played Sam Harris and uh, some YouTube channel. He has a very um, specific idea of meditation and how it should be done. And fair enough, he's spent many years studying the ancient texts and the old ways and watching people turn it into a commercial circus. So I will be talking to Doug about this. And what do you say? Maybe we'll get him back on the podcast to talk about it in a little bit more detail. But I guess the point is, uh, if there's a way uh, to change the story that we tell ourselves and there's a way, a more formal way to communicate with your mind and your body and coordinate those systems in a way that makes us more efficient and able to achieve our goals and be the way we want to be, then I should be open to that. And I suppose that's the realization I'm coming to. Stop feeling silly, dickhead, and start doing the things that it seems pretty obvious at this point will help you become a better person. And that's where I'm at. I guess there'll be a part two of this. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, I don't know, sit cross-legged and hum. Hum.